podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. My name is John Mark DeRoe. I am one of the co-hosts here at Shades Midweek, and I'm joined by my two good friends, and they're also pastors and co-hosts of this podcast, Brad Brown and Jonathan Hafes. What's up, everybody? It's good to be back. Yeah, in the studio. It's good to have you back. Hey, oh, yeah, I guess we should talk about that right off the bat. Then. You know what happened since the last time you were here? I have no idea. The Braves won the World Series. That's oh, what happened. Oh, did y'all talk about that? We did. We did talk about it, but I just wanted to talk about it again because it's still true. <laughs> you know, I grew up a Braves fan. I did. I, you and, and I have been to a Braves game we've together. We've been to a Braves game together. I feel like when it comes to Atlanta sports, I just died on the inside <laughs> after the Patriots beat the Falcons. And so when the Braves won, I wasn't even able to celebrate because right. that part of me was just dead. Just like can't. I couldn't open it up to right. let the joy in because <laughs> I felt like something bad was going to happen. But no, I um, am excited. That's something to celebrate. It's okay. Yeah. We, we don't have to talk about it again. Well, yeah, we were going to talk about uh, because you were gone, you had an accident. And we had. I did. Oh, we yeah. prefaced it a little bit last week, but we didn't share all the details. I already forgot. So about it. Uh, if you'd like to experience the PTSD of your car accident and share with us what happened, yeah. I think the midweek audience would love to know. Tell us the yeah. story. Yeah, so be careful coming out of Shades Valley Community Church. Because the stoplight that's right there, people coming towards you, I think that's Oak Grove Road. So if you can picture driving, you're looking at Shades, GM Pizzeria is on your left, the Briery is on your right. People pull up to that and they think it's a dead end because it ends in a parking lot. So therefore, they think that because they have a green light and not a green arrow, that they can turn left and cross traffic. So, I was just minding my own business going to lunch on Monday, and I saw a green light, so I kept coming out of the parking lot, and about halfway through the intersection, something at GMP Pizzeria kind of caught my eye, so I looked right for a second, and then I looked back, and there was a Ford SUV about a foot in front of me, and I went, ooh, and uh, we hit head on. No brakes. There, there wasn't even time to brake. The brake was hitting each other. And my head hit the steering wheel, and then the airbag deployed. <laughs> Sorry. It's not so, funny. It's not funny. So, uh, uh, Hyundai, get ready, because your boy's coming at you with Grant Primo oh, my to take all you have. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I could probably get Grant in trouble for saying that. That was a, a joke, just to be clear. I have no intention to sue yet. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so last week, I was still feeling a little fuzzy. I've had three concussions before, so I went to the doctor, and they just said I had minor head trauma. And every time I tell someone that, they say, is there such a thing as minor head trauma? Because anytime you say head trauma, it feels pretty intense. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, so I'm feeling a little fuzzy. It's hard to concentrate, so I might blank out in the middle of the conversation or forget what I'm saying, have a little patience. But the doctor said that that should just be the case for a few weeks, and hopefully I'll be back to normal. Well, but, we're thankful yeah. that you're okay uh, yeah, because car accidents too. are no joke, and they could really it could have went could have gone worse. Could have gotten a lot worse. Yeah. yeah, but I think the the scary thing for you, John Mark, is first it was Jonathan <laughs> got hit head on. Oh, yeah, that's and right, and wasn't his fault. Then me wasn't my fault. So you should just be prepared. Well, I'm hoping Ashley and I already totaled our cars in an accident where she hit me, and so <laughs> oh, I feel goodness. like. 
I feel like I've covered a lot of that already. So maybe you were life. first. Yeah. Maybe you started. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, Brad, thank you for sharing your trauma with us. Yes. We appreciate glad, your openness glad and vulnerability. Gladly. Yeah, yeah. glad you're okay. Something me, exciting, me too. Something exciting happened in, in our life, uh, in our family this past week. Uh, Moses, our oldest, lost his first tooth ever. All right. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Congratulations, so, Moses. Yep. yep. So are, are you all doing the tooth fairy thing? Yes. So did did you pull this? <laughs> now, do you believe in witchcraft? All right. Oh, my Many word. questions uh, <laughs> are being asked right now. We did not pull it. It fell out while he was at school in math. Ah. Uh, he was doing math, and that's the best. He was when just, just tugging on it, and it just came out. And then they have these uh, these little cases that they give to all the students for losing teeth. And uh, so he had his little case, and he put it in there. We didn't have that. Yeah, Man, it's a new day. In I know, right? So he brought it home. He was so excited. Our teacher actually texted us a picture of it while he was at school, and. It was awesome. So, yeah, we are doing the Tooth Fairy. He got a dollar. He was a little disappointed. It wasn't $5. Oh, my word. So, I asked for an iPhone. Right, right. Come on, Moses. I got like a quarter when I was a <laughs> yeah. kid, man. Yeah, seriously. What is happening? Um, oh. no, so. um, man, uh, I, I am the tooth puller in our family. Holly has never pulled uh, a tooth. Now, granted, she has done things that I consider much worse than that, like grosser than that. I'm very thankful for, but uh, but I'm the tooth puller. However, it's so funny, man. Different kids do it differently. Levi has pulled all of his own teeth, just like you described with Moses, and wow. now we're at a point where, like, Talitha, uh, Talitha pulled, I forget who it was. It was at Shades. She pulled some other kid's tooth at Shades. <laughs> I think it was one of the Cargyles kids. <laughs> so I'm just like, nah, there's no rules anymore. I love that. That is hilarious. So Maybe a future dentist on your hands. Oh, future world dictator. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what Tal is aiming for. Okay. All um, right. Anyway. All right. Well, I don't think we have any emails we because don't. we're so sad and lonely over here. Yeah. Nobody's writing in. Yep. We had several nothing weeks serious. back to back and now nothing. I know. Even when we on air last week Jeez. asked for one from Caitlin. Right. So. And she still hasn't responded. Yeah, that's fine, Caitlin. I feel like the Sharon Ponder meet a member is going to be very popular. Oh, we, yeah. we got a lot of likes on Instagram when I posted oh, yeah. about that. So maybe we'll get some emails. Very sure. good. Well, let's go straight to the album. James album of the week. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh. right from the start. We'll see if you listen to last week's episode. Yeah, I don't listen to episodes that I'm not in. He's... He- <laughs> He started doing this. I like it. I dig it. Yeah, my album this week, it comes from a band called Bleachers. Bleachers, and the album is called Take the Sadness Out of Saturday Night. Uh, Bleachers is an indie pop band based out of New York City. Uh, The lead singer and primary songwriter band leader is Jack Antonoff. Antonoff? Antonoff? I don't know. Tomato, tomato. Uh, Antonoff, Antonoff, he's done a lot. He was in the band Fun uh, for starters. You guys remember that band? Oh, yeah. Great band. Little indie pop band that had a lot of success. Um, He's also produced a number of songs, records, for artists like Taylor Swift, yeah, they're good friends. Carly Rae Jepsen, Lord, uh, Saint Vincent. Wow! Um, so he's kind of all over the place in the pro- 
producing world. He knows how to get good sounds. He knows how to write good songs. Uh, but he started this Bleachers band while he was still in the band Fun, and he kind of his his whole approach was sort of uh, you know doing some demos while he was out on the road. And I read that he referenced John Hughes movies. You guys familiar with the director writer John Hughes? I'm willing to bet you own every movie. He's I do ever own made. several of his. Uh, the Breakfast Club, uh, oh, Sixteen okay, yeah. Candles, Pretty yeah, in yeah. Pink, Planes, Trains, Automobiles. Um, he made anything since the uh, 80s. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The 80s was his heyday, 100. percent He did do some of the Home Alone movies, the early ones. Oh, okay. uh, but he referenced John Hughes for that feeling of like, like when you watch The Breakfast Club and they're playing like really popular. 80s songs. He was like, back when like popular songs were good. Um, and so oh, he's yeah. trying to do that. This song is called Chinatown. And uh, you may recognize this voice. Bob Dylan? Bruce Springsteen. Not Bob Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I had the accident. It's that fuzzy, fuzzy it's head. That fuzzy yeah. So uh, That's cool. I've been listening to this record. It came out earlier this year. It's got a lot of good songs on it. A lot of different vibes, too. Like that song, Pretty Indie, brings in Bruce Springsteen. Uh, a lot of his music, I feel like, has like a suburban youth kind of coming-of-age angst to it. Hmm. So here's like another example. This track's called Big Life. So this one's almost a little more lo-fi sounding with like a rockabilly kind of feel. Big life. That's fun. Yep. Um, trying to think of some other good songs on here. Stop Making This Hurt. There's a lot of number of good tracks on here. I've really enjoyed this record. I think it covers a lot of Sonics. Got some horns, very 80s, very 80s. Yeah, so if you like bleachers, if you like that kind of version of indie pop music, uh, Bruce Springsteen vibes, I mean, what? You can't go wrong with Bruce Springsteen being a guest vocalist on a track. You really can't. Uh, you really cannot. So check out that record. Let me know what you think of it. It's called Take the Sadness Out of Saturday Night. The band is Bleachers. Uh, yeah, Heartland Rock. Um, so, yeah, check it out. Let me know what you think about it. Sweet. Lovely. Lovely. Every time... Lovely. Every time I end the segment, Brad goes lovely. That's two weeks in a row. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Bradford's Book Club. I missed you all last week. I'm not sure. What book did you recommend, Jonathan? Jonathan, right? Spirit and Sacrament. Ah, yes. That's a good one. I approve. And... I know my listeners do as well. This week, I'm excited about the book that I'm recommending. It came out in July of 2020, but I am just hearing about it. And I'm hearing about it because Jonathan Pennington, who we've mentioned on the podcast before that wrote the theological commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, tweeted about it. And 
he was really excited about it. And so I'm like, if Jonathan Pennington likes it, I need to check this out. Well, I look at the book. It's a book titled Who is God? Key Moments of Biblical Revelation. So asking the question, who is God, is one that I'm interested in. And then I see that it's by Richard Bauckham. Now, John Mark, I know you know who Richard Bauckham is, right? Oh, one of my all-time favorites. Exactly. We did talk about him a lot, though, actually, when we did the Revelation series. Well, many many of you probably aren't familiar with the name <laughs> Richard Bauckham, but he is a stud. He's one of my theological heroes. He's a New Testament scholar, and he is absolutely brilliant. His work on the Gospels and the historicity of the Gospels just completely... Uh, what shattered the academic world and made complete disciplines of New Testament studies obsolete. So he's a stud, and uh, I really like his books. He also has a book on the Gospel of John. Jonathan, did you have that book? Have we talked about that book? Yeah, I, when we were going through the Gospel I'm, of John I'm together, to I'm trying to remember if he has more. It's than not a commentary, one. but it's no, just a it's little a, book, on, and he writes on the themes of John. Yeah, it's on the themes. Uh, and Gospel of it. Glory, I believe. Yes, I think that's the title. Something like it. that. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. He has uh, a little book on the theology of the Book of Revelation. Revelation. He's done a lot with uh, Johannine literature, um, and I mean, he does have a huge book on Revelation called the Climax of Prophecy, but that that tends to be pretty expensive. Yes. Yeah. 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 So he also has a little book, uh, like an Jesus and Introduction. Which I'm blanking on the series. Many of you would probably recognize the series, but it's a really accessible work. So anyway, all that being said, whenever Richard Bauckham comes out with a new book, you want to pay attention, people. All right. So this book titled Who is God? Key Moments of Biblical Revelation. Let me read a little bit from the back cover. Internationally respected scholar Richard Bauckham offers a brief, engaging study of divine revelation in Scripture. He probes the deep meaning of well-known moments in the biblical story in order to address the key question the Bible is designed to answer. Who is God? Accessible for laypeople and important scholars, the volume begins by exploring three key events in the Bible in which God is revealed. Jacob's dream at Bethel, the revelation of the divine presence. Moses at the burning bush, the revelation of the divine name. And Moses on Mount Sinai, the revelation of the of the divine character. In each case, Bauckham traces these themes to the rest of Scripture. He then shows how the New Testament builds on the Old by exploring three revelatory events in Mark's Gospel, events that reveal the Trinity, Jesus' baptism, transfiguration, and crucifixion. So, I highly encourage you to check it out. Bauckham is a brilliant reader of Scripture. He is able to make connections between text and bring out things that you will say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I, I didn't see that before. So he is a he is a trustworthy guide to help us engage with the Bible. And every time I walk away from one of his books, I'm always excited about what I learn and I'm ready to dive in more. So check it out. Yeah, I disagree with every scholar that I read. I disagree with Bauckham less often. Jonathan, <laughs> here's the thing with Jonathan. Jonathan always has to say. to say that he disagrees with <laughs> no, some. No, that's what I wanted to say. I was like, I disagree with Bauckham less often. No, he's he's very good. I enjoy reading Richard a lot. Yeah, yeah. I said that like he and I are friends. <laughs> <laughs> don't, you know, Richard. Don't go listen to one of his lectures on YouTube. I don't know if you're one of those people. It can be a little dry. Sure. 
So <laughs> go to the books. All right. Oh, well, awesome, That's Brad. all I got. Thank you. That was fantastic. Well, gentlemen, uh, what we're going to do today is actually uh, talk about something that we promoted uh, over the past couple of weeks through the bulletin and on Instagram and things like that, and that is the launch of the Birmingham chapter uh, of the Ann campaign. Yeah. Um, so the Ann campaign is something that we have talked about on this podcast before. If you are completely unfamiliar with that, you can go back to episode 29. Uh, entitled The Elephant and the Donkey in the Room. Man, it's got some creativity going on in those titles. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so obviously we were talking about politics right there. And uh, the Ann Campaign is an organization that, uh, I, John Mark, I believe you're the first one that found it and introduced us to it. Yeah, Do you remember how so. you found it? Just through Instagram. I think I saw a lot of people posting different things. I, you know what? Uh, actually, it was the Church Politics Podcast. Someone had told me about their podcast that they still do called Church Politics, and I started listening to it. Then that led me to follow them on socials, and I realized, oh wow, they have like this whole this whole platform. And um, so, and then I started to see that they had chapters in different in different cities, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, so the Ann campaign is an organization. It's it's not actually a campaign, um, like for a candidate or something like that. It's not affiliated officially with a political party or anything like that. It's right. it's a Christian organization um, that exists. Do they have like the summary statement? I, yeah, I I've can, got it right here. Okay, go for it because I okay. could take a stab you, at it if you go mess to, it up. If you go to andcampaign.org and you go to about and, uh, this is just their quick little blurb. Uh about Ann Campaign, uh, Ann Campaign uh, educates and organizes Christians for civic and culturing, cultural engagement that results in better representation, more just and compassionate policies, and a healthier political culture. So. Yeah, so mm. like their their entire thing is they want uh, Christians to engage well in the public sphere, to engage faithfully. In yeah. the public sphere, so I don't know if anybody's noticed, but um, people that claim the name of Christ don't always tend to engage in the best of ways uh, <laughs> with politics and things like that. Um, sometimes we can be just as partisan, if not even more so, than um, true. our uh, than people who aren't uh, claiming the name of Christ. And so, yeah, so that's the entire reason they started was to to kind of ask that question and try to provide a framework for Christians to begin thinking about what is faithful public witness look like and when we're engaging in the in civics in yep. the civic sphere in, in politics like how, how do i do this in a way that doesn't compromise my faith where i can stand on convic- convictions but is also compassionate towards my neighbors um that's a big kind of uh you know the, the and being mm-hmm. the the title of the organization that's one of the and statements they make probably most compassion and conviction mm-hmm. um and so, yeah, so that's why the organization exists. And so for, for us as pastors, what we found, are, or I, I'll speak for myself and y'all can chime in whether you agree or not, but what I felt like I found in the end campaign was uh, a, a voice that told me I wasn't crazy, <laughs> um, that, you know, that that to be a faithful believer did not mean, oh, well, you definitely have to toe this particular party line and endorse this particular candidate. No, to be a faithful believer and hold to biblical convictions means that no matter what candidate you vote for, no matter what party you consider you're a part of or any of that kind of thing, you're going to critique that. 
at some point. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to line everywhere. Yeah. Um. And and it's just it's gonna look different than the options that we're presented with by the world, uh, for for faithfully engaging, uh, civically. And the other reason I thought I wasn't crazy, uh, or it, or it felt like it was telling me I wasn't crazy, is there's a way to do that, uh, that's loving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a way to do that with compassion. Yeah. And there's a uh, and and so yeah. So what we did, um. As a staff, they they put out a book, and the title of the book is Compassion and Conviction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we read through that book together. And uh, I think we've recommended it on the podcast. We discussed a chapter of it in that episode 29, and we would still highly recommend it because, yes, Brad, even if you don't agree with everything in it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I don't I don't I don't need to say that. No. Even, <laughs> even if you don't agree with everything in it, what I think it's it does so well um is it provides a model for how Christians can talk about these things or how yeah. we can approach these things. Think about it. it's it's thought provoking, it's well done. Um yeah. So I just I highly recommend the book and it's it's my hope actually um, that amongst us as leaders, we'll be able to per, uh, perhaps in the next year lead uh, in 2022, lead a, a group book discussion. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know what you call it, book club, book discussion, whatever, and yeah. and take people through it because I think it will help promote um, hopefully healthier conversations and healthy dialogue about these things. Yeah, within the church. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think one of their big things is actually uh, promoting dialogue to happen about politics and what I love things that they say are basically like, you know, uh, it's not that we don't need to talk about politics in church. It's that we don't need to be partisan in Mm. church. Partisan politics is more dangerous than just discussing politics in general. And so they're very big on let's engage one, uh, one another in discussion and in this conversation so that we can grow and and see what the Bible has to say, and and how we can be uh, convicted to love our neighbor and compassionate, and all, and all of those things. Right. Yeah. Um. So during the Q and A portion of the event, we'll get to discussing the specifics of the event here in just a second. But but just one thing to kind of slip in up at the front is Colin Hansen, uh, who we've had on the program before, good friend of ours. Uh, he um he said that basically, yeah. and and it was in response to a question about like shouldn't we just keep politics out of the church? Something something like that. And he basically said, you know, he tells people we need more politics in the church, but less partisanship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and what he means by that is, as the church, we, we need to be discipling one another how to approach every aspect of our lives through the lens of our faith. So, yep. of course, of course, we got to talk about what that means for engaging civically and what that means in the political atmosphere in, in regard to politics. Totally. Like we need to talk about that more. And what he's, what I think he's insinuating, I'm about to stick words in <laughs> Hanson's mouth. What I think he's insinuating also, but, oops, sorry, I just no, pulled right, on the, right. the board. Um, <laughs> what I think he's insinuating by that statement as well is it's partially because we haven't talked about yes. what does it look like to faithfully engage politically yes. that we have more partisanship mm-hmm. within the church mm-hmm. than, than anything. Like, it's because we haven't talked about the fact that we can't ultimately be completely loyal to any worldly system. We ultimately must critique all systems according yeah. to the word of God. By the way. It's, it's because we haven't been saying those things that we have more partisanship within the church yeah. often. So, yeah. 
Go go ahead. Yeah, everybody everybody's like got something to say, and everybody's looking like who's talking next. Brad, go for it. <laughs> um, well, John Mark and I were re- uh, recently talking to a friend, or he texted us, and he's working on a PhD at a, at a seminary, and he said that his professor professor is writing a book on political discipleship, yeah. and it also made me think about David Platt's book before you vote right and in the introduction i mean he essentially says like we have to talk about this in the church because the reality is the church is being discipled to think about politics but this is happening either from political parties or this is happening from the news media so we as the church need to um reassess rediscover and learn what does it look like to bear witness to jesus christ in the political landscape that we exist in. And one of the things that I love about the and campaign is if you're someone that says, you know what, I'm a Republican and that's the party that I fall within, then you can be a part of the and campaign and you can say, I'm a Republican. Like you don't have to deny that identity. Say you're someone that's a Democrat. Right. You can go in and being a Democrat and they'll say, hey, we want you to be a Republican and we want you to be a Democrat. And then we yep. want to all together think about how do you be a Christian that identifies as a Republican? How do you be a Christian that identifies as a Democrat? How do you be a Christian that's unaffiliated, that finds themselves right. in the middle and and have those conversations together? And uh, I think at first it made me a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you can't do this. If you're going to have some sort of organization, it needs to be gathered around um, a monolithic group where everyone agrees about politics. Otherwise, it's going to be a disaster. But they've really painted a vision for what it could look like for different opinions to come together. And I think they're really beginning to carry this out on the ground, yeah. which can allow for us to begin to talk about politics in the church right? in a way that doesn't lead to um, chaos. <laughs> right along the lines of what you're saying, this is one of the last things that Justin Gibney said on that night. We'll tell you who he is in just a moment. But he said... Uh, so this is at the launch event for the the Birmingham chapter. And he says, if anyone is here to stick it to conservatives or to get even with progressives or even to find some mushy middle ground that avoids decisive action, then you're in the wrong place. Yeah, I wrote I wrote that down as well because I thought it was so powerful. Yeah, yeah. He's like a faithful Christian witness is not opposition centered. Yeah. yeah. Which I thought was just such a, a, a helpful statement. So it's not that like, Hey, we're not here to talk and have these hard conversations, but we want to talk about what. The, the, yeah, the very next thing he said is uh, a faithful Christian witness first ask, "What's the right position, regardless of who's supporting it or opposing it?" You know, and and I think the AND campaign is mm. is very open handed and honest as well about uh, areas of politics where Christians can completely disagree and right. and come at things from totally different angles whether mm-hmm. that's like over the specifics of say one's immigration policy over the or over the specifics of uh, one's economic policies that they prefer or what have not but there are some things uh obviously that we all have to have the same conviction on like we do all have to have conviction on how we treat the immigrant and mm-hmm. the sojourner and and mm-hmm. the love and compassion that needs to be displayed towards people and the dignity given to people as, as human beings. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and if you, if you just go to the and campaigns website, and just read through their position on various and sundry uh, issues at moments, you'll be like, Oh, now their true colors are showing they're <laughs> conservative. And then you'll be like, Oh no, now here the true colors are. They're progressive. Yeah. And, 
and they really are just trying to have a faithful Christian witness. And so, again, whether you end up agreeing with all the specifics or not, I think it's a good example yeah. of what this kind of thing can look like. Yeah, and I think it shades. This has been an avenue for us to talk about politics. <laughs> right. You know, like, how do we actually do that? Right. Yeah, I mean, because we're a yeah. politically diverse church. Yeah, totally. There's people all over the map, and it's like, okay, so how do how do we have those conversations? Yeah, yeah. how do we cast a positive vision right. rather than just don't do this or don't be like this? And I think this has given us a way to do that. Mm. Yeah, and so when I was uh, doing some research and looking at their chapters, I found out that they were starting a Birmingham chapter of the Ann campaign, which I got really excited about, but I couldn't find much information about it. I just reached out to Ann campaign, just kind of their contact information, and someone from the Atlanta chapter directed me to someone at the Birmingham chapter, and I was able to email. It turns out that uh, the church liaison for the Birmingham and campaign is a pastor named Matt Francisco. What a great last name, by the way. Francisco. I'm always jealous <laughs> of good last names because mine's so hard. Anyway, so sorry. Keep going. No, Matt yeah. Francisco. Yeah. Matt's a great guy. Matt Francisco, which I had heard his name. He's at Redeemer Community Church um, in Avondale. Um, I knew his name, had never met him before, so I reached out to him and got coffee with him and he was just kind of telling me a little bit about it, but at the when when I had coffee with him, it was earlier earlier this year, and they still hadn't you know this event wasn't even planned yet. He didn't exactly know what they were going to do, but apparently in 2020 they had a group of people that went through like a book study of the book that Ann Campaign uh, put out, which I thought was really cool. Um, but uh, basically, uh, we stayed in touch with them. Um, and they finally put out information for this event that they did this past Friday night, which was basically the official launch of right. the Birmingham chapter. Yeah. So on Friday night, uh, Holly and I got the chance for the first time in a while to, to go out on a date, and uh, we went to dinner. Uh, it was like uh, her really, really late birthday dinner because we didn't get, go out for a birthday because COVID. Um, <laughs> and uh, but not because COVID in general, because we had COVID. <laughs> you actually had specifically <laughs> um in our household um but uh but yeah so we went out to dinner and then we went to to this event and it was really cool because we'd been uh promoting it like i like i said through social media and the bulletin and such and there was good shades representation there yeah. um i mean it wasn't a big venue um i i I'm terrible at guessing, but I'm gonna say 75 to 85 like the room was was full. But it probably held in that 75-ish, 85 range. And there was probably 12 people from Shades there, which out of 75 folks, it's pretty Love good. That. Pretty good representation. Um, so we were really thankful to everybody who had the chance to come out. Mm -hmm. um, but for everybody who didn't, what we wanted to do in this episode was just share uh, a couple of things, maybe just like some quotes and stuff like that from the night. Uh, and we'll kind of bat around and talk about them a little bit. Really, just to give you a flavor for what the AND campaign is, what it's all about, um, and so that as we tell you about more things coming up in the future, you'll you'll have a better idea of of what it is that we're we're talking about. If you want to watch the full event, um, it's posted on their Facebook page. Yes, just search Birmingham AND campaign on Facebook. The link is available there. Uh, the link is a Vimeo link. So if you can't, for whatever reason, find it on Facebook, 
I did. I went to Vimeo. You can search the Vine Birmingham, which is uh, where the event was held. That's a church uh, here in Birmingham, the Vine. If you find their Vimeo account, you will. Is that how you say it? Vimeo? Vimeo? If if someone does this, I will be shocked. Uh, you can you can find the video there, but go to Facebook would be the easiest place to go if you can find all that yeah. there. Yeah, so you can watch the full event, and and what you'll see is they had three speakers: uh, Justin Gibney, Colin Hansen, and uh, Shobraka, and uh, and then they did a panel, a Q and A panel yes. there at the end, and each speaker speaks for probably twenty twenty five ish minutes, something like that, and the Q and A is probably about that same same length. And those speakers kind of represent the ethos of the organization in regards to politics, theology, and the arts. Right. Right. And yeah. so just to, to tell you a little bit uh, about each of those presenters. So the first one, uh, Justin Gibney, he, he is the founder or co-founder. He's the head, and, He's the head of yeah, the AND campaign. Yeah. Founder, um, one of the founders of the AND campaign. Yeah. Right. He's the primary voice on their church politics podcast. He was yeah. one of the authors of uh, the AND campaign book. Um, and so you can read more about him and his bio. He's been involved in more things I can we're going to get him on the podcast. There's no doubt. <laughs> I'm confident. There's we can no get doubt. Him. With our budget, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. The only bummer is that it'll be over the phone, um, and that means people won't actually get the full effect of his incredible voice. Incredible. Oh, um, he's yes. got one of those bass commanding Gosh. voices. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, no, Justin's uh, awesome. So he speaks first. Uh, and then Colin, who our listeners should be very familiar with. Yep. Um, Colin's been on the show. That's right. That's right. Um, we can say that. One and, down. <laughs> right, right. And Colin is. They actually introduced him as, uh, you may have heard him on Shades Midweek. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Colin Hanson. We weren't, Fresh su- off, we weren't surprised by that introduction. <laughs> right, right. Uh, um, and he's the uh, uh, vice president. Isn't that right? He's the vice president He's a friend. We don't remember of Gospel his Coalition yeah. and editor in, uh, chief. in chief of in content. Chief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it runs the Gospel uh, uh, Coalition. He has uh, his own podcast. Too. He he does a million things. Yeah, he he's he ridiculous. reads three hundred books a year. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a robot. We're pretty sure. We're pretty sure. But uh, so so he spoke, and he's a historian by trade, um, journalist, historian, and he spoke on the history of Birmingham. So we'll talk about that in a minute. And then Shobraka, who I he's who I was the least familiar with going into the night. So do one of you guys want to say more about what he I know he's a, a musical artist. He's he's an yeah, artist. That's all I know about him. He's an artist and a rapper. I've been following him on Instagram for maybe uh, a year or so. So I've seen him post various things about racial justice and things like that. Um, I've seen his face on some and campaign stuff. Um, it sounded like he's kind of one of the original founders as well. Right, yeah, yeah from I what so. Gibney said, yeah. yeah. So, but, uh, but anyway, so these uh, three gentlemen spoke that evening. And um, so, yeah, I think each of us uh, have had a chance to kind of go through and maybe pull some of the things that struck us uh, or quotes we just wanted to discuss. So we'll just take them one at a time. Um, so Justin Gibney, like we said, founder of the AND campaign, he spoke first, and his goal was really to give you that flavor for what the AND campaign is and what it's all about. And I, I want to read that this is a lengthy quote, so I apologize in advance, but it's it's really how he started his talk, which I just felt like was so good and just kind of sets the uh, the tone for what you're, what you're walking into here. Mm. Um, he says... Uh, 
In this truth-deficient and loveless age, there is no time for theological ambiguity. Let's not be coy. As believers, there are certain things we know through God's general and special revelation. And as a consequence for the end campaign, a high Christology and a high view of Scripture are the foundation of what we're trying to do. So just so anybody listening knows a high Christology means that you believe Jesus is God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Um, And a high view of scripture means you believe scripture is the word of God. Um, So he goes on to say, where was I? Jesus is exactly who the word says he is and the Bible is infallible. This is an unapologetically orthodox endeavor. And what he's talking about is the Ann campaign. The Ann campaign is an unapologetically orthodox endeavor. We believe our entire lives, our thoughts, actions, behaviors, sexual ethic are to adhere to God's word and not our own inclinations. But at the same time, this is not a graceless pursuit of Christendom. So Christendom is when Christianity tries to rule society a society like politically and make it a Christian society by force of law and all of mm-hmm. that. So this is not a graceless pursuit of Christendom. So, so think of the Roman Empire. That's Christendom. We're not pursuing the politics of Christian self-interest or seeking some kind of world domination. We're not afraid of civic pluralism, of defending the right of other groups to believe otherwise. We will contend for the faith, but not without respect for neighbor. Anyway, that's how he started. I just felt like it was so great at just kind of laying the unapologetic tone of like, look, we have these theological convictions. We're, we're, we're Christians in the fullest, robust sense of the word. Yeah. Um, but this is also, this is our, we're distinct from maybe some things you've encountered and some things you've seen as to how Christians are, or at least on the whole scale, being perceived. And let's let's just go on and call it what it is, how evangelicals on the whole scale are being perceived as engaging mm-hmm. politically. Mm-hmm. It's like we're, we're different and we're distinct from that because yeah. often uh, that conception and reality often uh, is a pursuit of a type of Christendom. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And so he's like, we're distinct from, from that. Anyway, didn't know if you guys had anything you wanted to add off of that opening quote. Well, one of the things that I wrote down segues very well from what you just said. Cool. He went on to say that conservative, conservative, Conservatism? Conservatism. It's that wreck, man. It's not our head. That head's still fuzzy. It's still slow. And uh, liberalism is not our master. Neither are above critique or challenge. Both fall short of beautiful biblical imperatives. Uh, We will respect our neighbors and we will hold all groups to the same standards that we speak of including the church, including our organization. So one of the things that I love about that is, I can't remember if it was him or somebody else, but he said when it comes to Christian witness and political engagement, Christians have to get out of the mindset of we need to get blank in office and then we need to defend them no matter what. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the things that he he's saying here is, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you need to be willing to look at your own party and based off of biblical convictions, be able to criticize your own party. Even if the other side that you're so frustrated with, angry with, disagree with, whatever, is criticizing your own side, you need to be willing to own where your party or your tribe or whatever, where their actions fall out of 
biblical imperatives or go against Christian beliefs. And so I love that spirit that the and campaign brings, which is, okay, we're going to be a politically diverse group, but we're not going to be a group of people whose party affiliation is above our Christian identity. And we're not going to get caught in the game of um, defend our tribe, defend our person, no matter what, even if that means we have to compromise our convictions. So I, I love that he said that from the beginning. Yeah. Whenever they start the church politics podcast, one of the things that he always says at the beginning is something to the effect of, <clears throat> let us th- let us not think of ourselves, or what does he say? Let's not think like conservatives. Let's not think like progressives. Let's think like Christians. Like that's kind of how they start every podcast. Right. And it's a and it's amazing. And so whenever they talk about all this stuff, I mean, it is it is just they're very up upfront and forthcoming about what their vision is that they're casting and kind of uh, where they're the framework that they that they are working out of. And one of the things that he said in his talk, we mentioned it briefly earlier, was kind of this opposition-centered politics. Um, There's a great episode uh, on Church Politics Podcast where it's all about opposition-centered politics. He kind of gives a more robust kind of his framework behind behind that. But I think that's really important um, just as we approach politics in general. I think it can be very easy to look at the other side and what the other side is doing and based off of our opposition to those things, then sort of dig into the other side only be only in opposition to that yes. and not really have, not really working off of something that's, that's deeper there, like a deeper belief system or a deeper um, understanding of what God could ask us to do as uh, neighbors to one another and as followers of Christ, and so uh, that's a big thing that they that they talk about a lot um, at the end campaign. Right. Well, and that comes completely out of a non. It doesn't come out of a Christian mindset, like this idea that the only way to promote my side or to to get the my party in power, blah blah blah, is just I I can never criticize. I can only right. like it's total domination is, yes. is the name of the game. We I mean we talked about that on Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. As we began to talk about that's the strategy of of the world, the way to win at whatever, whether yep. vocationally, economically, politically, or whatever. The way to win is domination. Yep. You know, and so therefore, what that's meant in political strategies is I can't critique my side. I can't show any weakness whatsoever. So so this is what Gibney went on to say. He said, we elect someone and immediately defend them uncritically. Mm, yeah, we turn right. a blind eye to corruption and we excuse their failings. We give out unconditional passes based on party and tribal affiliation, class and cultural identity, flattering storylines and flowery narratives. Our posture as Christians must change. And, th- and this was at the heart of his talk. He spent a really long time telling the story Oh yeah. Um, about uh, a civil rights leader by the name of yeah. Andrew Young, who got elected as uh, Atlanta's first uh, black mayor, mayor yeah. and how on his first day, he was picketed by his friend, Reverend Joseph Boone, um, a, a black pastor known as the picketing preacher who'd like been right at 
Young's side throughout the civil rights movement. Like he pickets him on day one. So <laughs> so wild. Um, but the reason, the whole purpose of that is to say, look, dude, uh, it's uh, great, wonderful that we've had this political victory and all that. We're holding you accountable too. Yeah, and that's yeah. so different. So different from the posture of like, you know, well, when my candidate gets in office, that doesn't mean I relax. It actually means I'm more engaged at holding them accountable. I'm not going to let them because because I'm partly responsible for putting them there. Yeah. So I'm not going to let them get away with corruption. I'm not going to let them get away with whatever. Like, I'm going to hold them more accountable. It's just it's so counterintuitive to the way that our parties primarily operate. And so what what a distinctive Christian voice, right? What a distinctively Christian voice that could be if Christians who identify as Republicans, Christians who identify as Democrats, were constantly holding their own parties accountable. Yeah. Yep. And and their own candidates accountable. You know, I mean that would just be that that's gonna be different in totally. the conversation, you know? Totally. So anyway, um, any other quotes or things like that from Gibney? I've got like, man, man, Gibney, his talk, y'all should go listen to it for real because like his talk, like I just wanted to write down everything. It gets so oh, intense. intense. Well, he's so, he's so <laughs> articulate too. He is, yeah, man. He's so articulate. And so every, every statement is crafted. Yes. Very um, intentional. Yeah. And, and so they all can like just pop as quotes, you mm-hmm. know, but not like Twitter quotes. Yeah. Um, not like uh, they pop like that, but just mm-hmm. there's no fat. Yep. Yeah, it's like I agree. It's like you know, I'm just um. Mm. So anyway, um, yeah, I got a couple more if y'all want me to read them. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, cause I, I might play off them. So so here's uh one where where he's kind of he's he's talking again about how you cannot just wholesale yourself like to conservatism or progressivism as a Christian, mm-hmm. and this is what he says. Why would God's people entrust their witness, so how we're perceived in the public square, you know, our witness, why would they entrust their witness to a conservatism that opposed the civil rights movement or to a progressivism that discounts the life of the unborn or to a pop culture that sexualizes children? On the whole, the two primary ideologies aren't without merit, but they're not worthy of worship and the surrender of our thoughts and social action. Mic drop. I yeah, know. no, I mean, it's just like let me just stomp on everything in the room, everybody <laughs> in the room. Let's just let's just do that right here. I love it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just he he acknowledges, you know, in the in the course of that statement, hey, the the two primary pol- po- parties, excuse me, and the way they approach things. Yeah, there's. Good things that can probably be said both for good things in conservatism, good things within progressivism, all of that. But, like, we can't just genuflect and bend the knee to either one of them wholesale. That's not a possible option Mm -hmm. um, for for Christians. Um, They don't get our worship. Only one does. And we've talked about that a lot in talking about political idolatry and where does our ultimate uh, allegiance lie. And and I'll throw this one other quote out there real quick and then I'll be quiet talking about where does our ultimate allegiance lie, here's here's something he said that I think is really helpful, and here's how you know. Like, here's when and how you know where your ultimate allegiance lies. He says, we all feel embattled, and our desperation exposes where our loyalties lie 
and where our hopes are vested. Mm. So yeah. when you're feeling embattled and when you're feeling desperate, that's that's when you really find out where your hope is and where where your trust is. And anyway, I just mm. thought it was really good. Yeah, he's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Just on a personal note, like I think one of the reasons why a lot, most of what he says, pretty much everything, it resonates so much with me is because I've been there and like I'm guilty of those things, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm guilty of the political idolatry that I've experienced throughout my life. You know, I think I've been able to vote Confess. Since, since I was just go uh, on confess it all, JM. <laughs> I think I voted first in 2004. I think that was my first election. But just like I'm, I'm, I have experienced guilt in all those areas and have seen myself. And so I think that's why it resonates so much with me because I'm like, yes, like we're calling it out uh, at, for what it is. We're not pulling any punches and we need to talk about this because at some point or one another, like everybody in this room, everybody listening to th- to this podcast has has engaged in those acts before. Yeah, we're all I mean? guilty. We're all guilty of it, right? Yeah. Which mm, which as yeah. Christians we should all be able to say very quickly. Right. Right? Yep. You yeah. know, um I mean we we we're, we're not Pilate, okay? We're yeah. not washing our hands. There's blood on all our hands. Yep. You know, kind yep. of thing. And this isn't and that's what I love about the ink campaign. It's not it's not a log and spec situation. It's not right. a all right, well, we're the more righteous ones right. who figured it out, so now we get to throw stones at everybody else, which is what movements can often feel like, Movements, no matter what they're centered around. Yeah, um, totally. But it's like, no, we're going to begin with ourselves. And, yeah, yeah I just think that's that that's... Oh, I mean, I was totally convicted. Jonathan, you read it earlier, but when he talks about the Ann campaign not being created to stick it to liberals or conservatives, right, or not a mishy middle ground mm-hmm. to avoid action, Right. You mean right. you can't find and campaign videos if you like search, you know. And so an and campaign destroys destroys. Right? But I mean people uh, snowflakes yeah, yeah. or social justice warriors right, right, or right, you know right. conservatives or and, yeah. but I mean those have millions of views right. online, mm-hmm. right? I mean that's what we want to see. That's mm-hmm. what the conversation constantly revolves around, right? Or what you were saying about being opposition focused. But I, and I can't remember if you said this once again the car accident. But it, after those lines, he says that the Ant campaign or the Christian Christianity uh, forces us to first ask, what's the correct position regardless of who is holding the position? Right. So instead of having this allegiance, ultimate allegiance, while no one would say that, in action to a party, and so then you back that no matter what, the AND campaign is saying, okay, well, if our allegiance is to Jesus Christ, then first we ask, what's the correct position in light of our faith, in light of biblical uh, revelation, and then who's holding that position? And no matter what side they're a part of, I get behind that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is just a radically um, different way of engaging in the political world. Yeah. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, man, and, and and I mean, I think everybody can thoroughly tell we're we're fans. Are we, we, yeah, we, we, are we, we gonna have a job we, after we, this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, we could quote this whole thing. Basically, yeah, after, should we just read after the, entire, <laughs> the whole transcript? The whole All right, transcript. this is gonna be a three-hour podcast. Our commentary on his <laughs> speech is longer than his speech by far. So Justin Gibney finishes his talk, and then they bring up Colin Hansen, who we've had on the podcast before. I, we're all huge fans of Colin Hansen. Um, 
He Colin led the civil rights tour. We mentioned this before on the podcast, but mm-hmm. uh, the SVCC staff and, and some of the elders and, and family went on a civil rights tour of Birmingham, guided by Colin Hansen. He does these um, kind of on the side. And can, can I give a spoiler? Yeah, we're we're planning. Hopefully, yeah, in the go sp- for it. Hopefully, in the spring, you know, when it's not you know crazy cold and all that, right. and, and we get through the holidays and that, we're we're planning for him to do that again. It's, it depends on his availability, but yeah. and opening it up to anyone Church who body. wants to go. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and be I think great. that would be a great opportunity. We'll definitely let everybody know whenever that's happening, and we're putting that together. But he gets up, and he he basically kind of does a very, very truncated – I mean, he really only had 20 minutes. Yeah. We were with him for, what, three, three and a hours, half hours? Three hours, yeah. I think. Uh, so he did like a truncated version of sort of his narrative about Birmingham, the history of Birmingham, civil rights in Birmingham. And uh, let me just tell you, like, for me – like I grew up, I was born in Birmingham, uh, south of Birmingham. I grew up here, um, so I, I, it's this weird thing happens. It's very strange for me. Uh, it, when he starts to talk about Birmingham and he goes into the history of it, I get like kind of I start to get kind of emotional about it in this weird sort, of, in this weird way in which I, mm. I hadn't really experienced before until recently. Um, because I do think one of the big things about this chapter in Birmingham, just generally speaking, is they love the city and they want to see the city flourish um, and for churches and Christians uh, throughout the entire city of Birmingham and the suburbs of Birmingham to be able to come together despite our differences racially, politically, uh, socioeconomic status to come together and work to make the city better and stronger uh, with Christ at the center, which is really cool. So I get very emotional when Colin like starts to talk about, you know, what is the history? Like what is the kind of what, what did Birmingham leave its mark with, like with civil rights and what, what are some sentences that we could say about Birmingham? And so uh, he talks about basically how at the end of the day, um, and these are not direct quotes, I'm just uh, paraphrasing obviously, but Uh, He basically just says that with Birmingham, there's not a happy ending. You know, he had some friends uh, from Denmark, I believe, that that came over. He was like, he's like, so look at the difference between Birmingham and Atlanta. Uh, In Birmingham, they come to visit the Civil Rights Institute. In Atlanta, they go visit the Coke Museum. Um, So that kind of goes to show you, like, just the perception of Birmingham and all the history that's here within the city. Yeah. But, But they go through the Civil Rights Institute tour. And it just has a very like sad ending to it, and there's not a happy ending. And so he, and so his whole talk is kind of going into what is the history and kind of where are we today, and how do we move forward, and what is like how do we find kind of the happy the happy ending, so to speak, the silver lining. What, what do we find as our strength moving moving forward as Birmingham? So, yeah, and mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons that a talk like his is so helpful or a tour like we we did with him or we're talking about doing with him in the future is so helpful uh, is he really put it best uh, at, at the end of his, his talk. Um, he, let me back up just one second. Sorry. Uh, so when he talks about uh, the civil rights history uh, in Birmingham, he says it can be framed around uh, these three things, uh, fight, flight, forget. 
So in other words, yeah. uh, the history of civil rights and the move to integrate schools and all those kinds of things, there was there was a big fight about it at first. No, yes. we, we don't want to integrate and all of that. Um, and then uh, you had white flight. So once integration happened, yes. you know, the movement to the burbs and all of that. Uh, and then forget. Let's forget about it. We don't want to talk we about it. We need to move on. Yeah. 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 And so I think whenever we talk about, oh, Colin gave a talk about the history of Birmingham. Oh, we went on a history tour with him. We're going to do another one. I think people can be like, why? Yeah. Why would we do? Because because we're kind right. of in this. We'd rather not remember. Right. And aren't we past right. that kind mm-hmm. of thing? Yeah. Um, and he said this at the at the end of his talk. He said, "We can look back on this history, talking about civil rights history in Birmingham. We can look back on this history and sit in judgment for these egregious sins, and we should in many ways. But it's much harder." to consider where we and our churches might be in sin today. Mm. There are two unhelpful ways to look back on history. One is to judge our ancestors as if we can't be wrong in other ways, like so so our ancestors were just terrible, horrible people, and they're wrong, and we're so much better now. He says, uh, this tends to be the progressive impulse, to imagine that we have somehow transcended certain sins and defeated human nature. The other unhelpful way to look on history is to sanitize it, to remember only the good parts, or at least only what was good for people who look like me and live in my neighborhood. He said that tends to be the conservative impulse towards nostalgia. He said, but history is more like your grandmother. I love this. Yeah, it's good. Naivety is thinking she can do no wrong. Arrogance is thinking she can do no good. Maturity is is realizing that you're a lot like her. <laughs> like so so just the idea of like why is it important to go back to the history and all that because we need to learn from it. We don't need to repeat our mistakes, we need to learn from them, we need to be honest, we don't need to glamorize history, we don't need to demonize history, we don't need to like we need to be honest with it and it it, it will be helpful in knowing where we are, why we're where we are and it'll help us learn how to have a moral imagination that can help us take take us forward, mm-hmm. you know. So that's why I think it's it's so helpful to revisit these things. I don't think it's merely like, oh, well, let's revisit our history so uh, everybody gets a good guilt trip in or something like <laughs> right. that or whatever. I think it's no, we need to be honest and and we do need to examine ourselves mm-hmm. in light of that history. I need to examine myself and my own heart. Uh, I don't. I, I I made this statement. Gosh, this was back in the Revelation series. Um, uh, back. Uh, right around the the murder of George Floyd, mm-hmm. um, where I I talked about I, 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 maybe this was a new thought for me at the time I honestly don't know, but I talked about how r- the issues surrounding race ethnicity racism uh, uh, racial injustice all of these things it's very intriguing to me that it seems to sit in a category of sin by itself where it's a sin we've somehow checked the box on. Like all other sins, we're, we're willing to be like, yeah, that's a fight. Yeah, there's definitely pieces of that that need to be rooted out in my heart, or I still struggle with that, or blah, blah, blah. You know, whether we're talking about anger or lust or greed or whatever. Like nobody's ever going to be like, yep, done with greed. Completely never had it, or anger or whatever. Blah, blah. But when it comes mm-hmm. to like racial harmony or ethnicity or any of these, it's like, there's this kind of like, well, we've checked the box on that so we can forget it. And I just think our history 
forces us to look in the mirror and be honest yeah. mm-hmm. and and examine ourselves and ask hard questions. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Anyway, that that was all I had from Hanson there at the end because because his talk was more of a historical narrative. You can definitely yeah. go listen to it, but I thought that was really helpful in just drawing out why it's important to to yeah. go, go back and look at yeah. our history. Well, and there's so much you can say from his talk and I don't want to just repeat it. And I don't, I want people to experience the tour for the first time, right. <laughs> you know, without yeah. right. some of this knowledge. But one of the things that was so jarring to me and is stuck with me, he did this in the tour and he opened up his talk with this is he asks, what story would you tell to talk about Birmingham? Mm-hmm. And I can remember when he asked that and I was like, Oh my God, I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, "Is are we simply like John Mark was talking about earlier, the city with no happy ending?" And he goes, "You know, you can look at parts of the city today, in light of what's happened, and say, gosh, there really is no happy ending. We still have a lot of issues that we're dealing with from this, the time of the civil rights." Mm-hmm. And yet he ends and talk about bringing it into the present, like mm-hmm. you were doing, Jonathan, with talking about how we reflect on history and how that causes us to reflect on um, ourselves and our own lives. And at the end, when he kind of concludes and gives his story for what the city of Birmingham could be, he says, uh, the story of Birmingham uh, is a story of teaching the world how to march. Yeah, yeah. And he talks about um, Birmingham being a city that teaches the teaches the world how to do this peaceful protest and he talks about all the events that happened here in Birmingham in the civil rights and he talks about all the figures and the sacrifice and those that lost their lives and so like from that history he does paint this vision of like yes there is a dark history but yet also in Birmingham you see this courageous um uh this courageous courage (laughs) that's that's not I wanted to say that, but you see, yeah, <laughs> you, you're allowed. You have a free pass of blaming everything on the car accident <laughs> yeah, right now. That's true. I, I think it's there. That's kind uh, of a witness to the world, and so I th- I felt like that was really interesting. And from there, he goes and he talks about churches. Kind of what is it? What would it look like for churches to join in together yeah. with this? Yeah. Um, of of different races, of different political affiliations coming together and protesting for justice and peace and the welfare of the city and those in the city. And so I I thought that that was really um, powerful. Yeah. Well, so the last, uh, the last presenter uh, was show, show (laughs) Braca and, and here's what's, what's fun. Uh, or what was fun to me, because I'd again, I'd never, I'd yeah. never heard uh, music or, or heard him speak or any of these things. Um, so Justin and Colin are both like more formal, I guess you would say. Yeah. Like you know, um, they had a manuscript. Yeah, they, they had, had their man- notes. They had their notes. They stated, manuscript. They stated the podium. Yeah. Right. And and show gets up there and it's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Rips, it was just he gets the, the mic, mic off. It was just a different vibe in the room altogether. Yeah. It was great though. It was great. And um and so yeah, so I don't know um if uh y'all want to start it off just on the weekend. I know we got to wrap well, up here soon, but a I, couple of things from his talk. I have just like one or two. One of the the big things he kind of sat in for a while and and talked about was that, that we tend to, we want to build Christ. We want, or no, excuse me. We want Christ to build his church on our own ideologies. You know, like we've got our own 
way of mm. being and thinking in the world, and it's much more comfortable for us if Jesus would just build uh, his church on top of that, uh, rather than me having to, to deconstruct that and, and build my life on top of uh, Jesus and, and as a part of of his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, and he just kind of goes on from there with uh, uh, a couple of different uh, things that I found to be, uh, yeah, really helpful uh, and interesting. So he, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. He, um, he gives this illustration uh, right at the beginning uh, of Iron Man and, yeah, and talks Stark. about, yeah, talks about having a hot take on Iron Man. And basically he says Tony Stark causes all of the problems that he then has to dress <laughs> up as Iron Man to go fix. But what he's, what he's trying to open your imagination to is are there ways that you are living that are causing the perpetuation of uh, injustices? Mm-hmm. Um, like, are there ways of working? Are there ways that we do church and we worship together? Are there ways that we um, uh, use our, our money or whatever that are holding up um, systems that are uh, oppressive mm-hmm. and unjust? And if you're like, man, I can't even put my brain around what that looks like or anything like that. He used a poem. Yeah. Uh, which I wanted to read. All right, here we go. I looked I for it. I was hoping you were going to read. I looked for it online, and because it don't, his poem, I don't know. Okay. I couldn't find it online, so I had to like write it down as he said it. But he said, uh, he said, I was in Bible study, and a pimp walked through the door, and I said, pimp, you can't do that kind of work no more. He begged for forgiveness, and his knees hit the floor, and with eyes to the sky, he asked for forgiveness from the Lord, and we said, Amen. However. I was sitting in church and a predatory lender walked through the door and the leader said, would you like a seat on the elders board? With a smile on his face and accolades galore, we celebrated this man, even though he exploited the poor. Yeah, that was, I just, (laughs) I think I audibly said in my office, I was just sitting here watching it by myself and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Did that get a reaction in the room? You You couldn't hear it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a reaction in the room for sure. Um, That was good. But, yeah, but so that idea of, like, okay, there are things, like, there are moral things that we, like, so sexuality, where Mm -hmm. we as Christians are willing to go, okay, here's something that the Bible says and teaches clearly, and we're going to call on this, and and we're going to hold people to account for that and all that. But... Maybe what scripture has to say about the way we should or should not treat someone justly in business practices. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, no, I mean, that right. guy's just a shrewd businessman, even though he's cheating the mess out of people or, or, or preying upon those who have little to next to nothing, you know? Yep. And, and like, there are just certain things we're willing to call out and other things we're willing to skirt because they benefit us, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so that's what a lot of his, uh, at least the first portion of his talk centered around. And that was the whole, we want Christ to build his kingdom on our ideologies, like on what I'm comfortable with, the style of life and all of that, that, that protects me, uh, that, that, um, that I'm comfortable with mm-hmm. rather than having to do the hard work of, uh, having a moral imagination of what, at, having a moral imagination that first asks the hard questions of what in my life could be doing these things, mm-hmm. and then has the courage to imagine doing life differently. That's what I was trying to say. Couldn't get it yeah. out. I don't have a car accident as an excuse for why I can't <laughs> say things. Well, you did a while ago. 
Oh, this is from January 2020. <laughs> I'm my brain still fuzzy. This is a, this is a live podcast. It is. Yeah. It's fine. It is, and we don't, you know. No, I mean, I just felt like he, it. he was totally calling out our blind spots and mm-hmm. trying to get us to think more holistically mm-hmm. and to get out of some of the narratives that can be given to us, whether it's through the media or whatever. Um, well, he talked about his own upbringing. You yes. Know, and and yes. the blind spots that come with that. Like, basically, I mean, didn't he say something to the effect of, you know, I grew up basically that black people vote Democrat. Right. I mean, that was, that was, yes. and, and he has a crazy, I mean, I think his, Mom married her. His dad is like a Hebrew, no, uh, Nation of Islam. Is that right? Yes, Did his mom right? was active in the Black Panthers, I believe. The Black Panthers, and his stepdad was yes. Nation of Islam. And he's like, So I basically grew up like, you know, thinking white people are the devil, yeah. right? right. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and yeah, and I mean, so yes, we we all have our blind spot. And Brad, to, to go to what you were saying just then about, uh, the media here's oh oh well, i wanted to talk uh, well, we're getting to the end here but okay. they had a section on this that well, was really good let's well, get on the media well, well all i was gonna <laughs> say, all i was gonna say is here's one of the things that frustrates me Go ahead. about our just being constantly inundated with news uh cable news cycle all of that is that they run scripts and narratives for us constantly and they give us lenses through which we then begin to see and hear everything else. So, for instance, as soon as I said, you know, that show was calling out, what if there are practices in our lives, you know, that promote injustices? I'm willing to bet that if you're like a devotee to conservative cable news, that began to run a script for you about, oh, well, he's saying that what he's really saying is this, yeah. or what he's really saying is that, when he said none of that at all. Right. You know, he's just trying to challenge you and go like, can, can you take a moment to, to look at your life and ask those hard questions? Or yep. or the moment Gibbony starts talking about uh, living a sexual ethic in line with uh, Scripture or the traditional nuclear family and the importance of that. He had a whole section where he talked about that. You know, if you're like a devotee to uh, progressive cable news, that starts running scripts for you and, and throwing lenses and all of that. Yeah. And none of us, I don't say, I'm not saying any of that from the position of, oh, I'm more righteous and I never do that. Right. I'm saying all of us do all this. All of us, yeah. All of us do this. We so hear- turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> so well, stop watching it. Well, well, and this would move us into the Q&A. The cable this, news yeah, in, this, in particular. This the, would move us the into the Q&A. News. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm turn fine it off. That. Yeah. Because we need to wrap. They asked them, or the somebody asked the in the Q&A. panel, yeah, yeah. Uh, asked where do we, where do y'all go to get your news? Where should we go to get our news? Which great, I think is a great question. Is an excellent question. Yeah. And so Justin Gibney said, "Turn off cable news." Yeah, pretty strong. Yep. He said it's not there to inform you. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. And it's, I would just like, oh uh, yeah, I would just yeah. like to echo that. And yeah, I mean, he's then, talking. To, I mean, let's be specific. Specific. <laughs> specific. I didn't have what a car. I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. I mean, those are kind of the big three cable news networks that basically have twenty-four hour news coverage. Turn those off. That's what he's talking about. Yep. Stop. That's what he's saying. <laughs> That was that was one, and then two. Writing on the back of that, one of the things that I meant to say this past Sunday when I was preaching on meekness, gentleness, um, is uh, 
I meant to say it at the point at which I went to Second Timothy two twenty five, which says that the servant of the Lord is supposed to correct uh, their opponents with gentleness. And one of the things I wanted to say right there, it wasn't in my notes or anything, but I'd thought about it, was that uh, one of the most popular kinds of programs that exist, whether you're talking TV, uh, radio, cable, television, news-type shows or segments or whatever, uh, any of these things, are programs that are centered around the correction of your opponents. Yeah. Like, that's all the program's about is mm. correcting the other side. Yep. And the question I just wanted to pose is, do any of them do that with gentleness? <laughs> G- gentleness right. doesn't sell. Gentleness doesn't yeah, entertain. No. It doesn't all of those things. And so, yeah. So that that was my two cents that I wanted to throw onto that. All no, right, totally. keep going. Yep. Th- his second piece of advice was to find writers that critique both sides of the aisle. And so he said, you could find a writer who says, I'm a conservative. But he's saying when they write, how do how do they write? Are they willing to critique their own side? Are they willing to call out their own party? And yeah, do they write with the virtues and the characteristics that Jonathan was talking about? And then Colin Hansen said, agreed with him and said, yeah, turn off cable news. And he goes, spend your time with books and people. And I thought that was Really interesting advice. Spend your time with books and people. Preach on. And he said something that's so true. Like if uh, John Mark and I are having a conversation about something, he starts telling me about something he's been engaging with, and I start to get really excited about it. I didn't care about the thing 20 minutes ago. Right. And normally that will lead me to a book or a documentary or something like that. And I go and check it out, and – then I go back to John Mark and I talk more about it. And there's kind of this cycle that happens. And so I think there is so much wisdom. And I mean, it's so easy and I'm totally guilty of this, but it's so easy to get sucked into blogs because it's so quick and it tends to hit the high points that you really want. It gives you the goods. But and I think Hanson said this on our podcast, I can't remember, or unless this was in conversation, but he was just saying, you know, read, read deeply, read, um, it, read people that are dead, read people that are not in your time, read their perspective on things. Um, you know, this person authored a book and it got published and it's being sold. Like that doesn't mean that it's, there's going to be quality to it, but there's a better chance than, yeah. So and so with a with well, a Twitter profile, just three random dudes with a podcast. Yes. Way better. Ch- turn off the <laughs> podcast. Turn off. The, turn turn off this podcast and go read yeah. a book. No, I was doing well, that to mimic Hanson. It was really funny. Yeah. Uh, he got asked about yep. the fact that he runs. He a runs web- a website, <laughs> right? And he was like, "My website's to say stop going to websites and go read <laughs> right. a book." I mean, and I was th- like, "Okay." The thing with books is that. Even if you, even if it's a smaller book, you still have to invest a few hours of your time. I mean, it's not, it's not as yes. easy as flipping the channel on and watching a ten-minute segment on something that you could read books upon books about, like a subject you know that's vast. Totally. And so to actually sit down and read a book, you're like engaging in something that's going to take time and effort. Yeah. So totally. But yeah, I mean, and uh, just to give like an example, I was trying to think of a few examples of some writers that I've enjoyed uh, that I feel like 
take that are able to critique both sides, even though they're kind of firmly in one camp, but they're able to critique their own camp and the other. David French is a Christian author. Um, uh, he has a legal background. He has a uh, kind of a pay subscription-based thing called the French well, the dispatch, but his blog is called the French press, but he's always doing pieces all the time. He's a conservative. Um, he would probably consider himself a classic liberal. Uh, but I've, I mean, he mostly critiques the right, uh, and conservatives and white evangelicals. And and he critiques the, uh, the left as well. So try to find some, some writers like that that are kind of engaging in, in that type of thing. Yeah. Totally. Well, guys, I know we need to wrap it up. Do y'all have anything else? If not, I thought we could close it with one last uh, quote that I have here. It's the way that show ended his talk. Not, not his rap. I'm not going well, to attempt to do his a, rap. Well, don't go ahead, because I have a quote from show that I was going to end with, but you go ahead. It might be the same one. Okay. Um, I, he, he just we, – what we've been trying to do through this episode is give you a little bit of a flavor of the end campaign. And, and what it's all about. Hopefully that may intrigue you to go look at it more. Again, like we said, I, I think their goal is to present a framework for Christians to have faithful civic engagement. Their goal is not to make you conservative, not to make you progressive, not to make you a Democrat, not to make you yeah. a Republican. Their goal is to say, as a Christian, no matter where you fall on that political spectrum, h- how do you be a Christian yeah. first and foremost yeah. and faithful. Well, and it takes a while to get used to that. You're like, I don't have a category for that. Right. <laughs> right. So so this is how show wrapped up his talk trying to, I think, put a, a cap on what the AND campaign's about. He said, uh, at the end of the day, the AND campaign is not about winning. Oftentimes when we think about politics, we think about winning. And it's not. It's about how do we love and operate in grace with our neighbor? Just, Echoes some yep. of what you were saying this past Sunday, Jonathan. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, yeah. for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, we hope you're still with us. You, you, we, you know, we we would we, like it if we, you still we like. We may us. be fired. <laughs> yeah. This. this might be it. This <laughs> might be our last one. It was a good run, guys. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I stand by it. I stand by it. We are going to try to get some people from the end campaign on, even, uh, you know, possibly from the Birmingham chapter. Um, I mean, if we get Justin Gibney, that would be insane. Oh, we're going to um, get Justin Gibney. <laughs> so I, mean, I have no yeah. doubts. So, yeah. But, well, we thank you for, for listening in. Go um, to uh, Vimeo, like John Mark yeah, said. Yeah, check or out go the video. The, or go to the yeah. end campaign. Go, go to Facebook. Yeah. Uh, like the Birmingham and campaign Facebook. If you're interested, you can – Keep up to date with them. They have a uh, email list that you can subscribe to. I believe their just their general website is andcampaign.org. That's where you can find out just about the entire organization, what they do, what they believe, uh, their statements, and all those well, things. Well, and so. you know, if you're one of the members that went to the event that Jonathan was talking about and would love to share any thoughts, you could email us <laughs> because, <laughs> midweek, because here at Shades Midweek, you're part of the conversation. Oh, my gosh. Even with your fuzzy brain, you can remember that tagline still. Never forget. Um, Anyway, we love you all. Yes. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Shades Midweek.